The Mariners have won their sixth straight game, taking on the San Diego Padres two to nothing, with some stellar performances from key guys like Julio Rodriguez and Logan Gilbert. Welcome back to the Hit It Here podcast, episode twenty. For if you're listening on Spotify, we greatly appreciate you, and if you're watching and listening on YouTube. Subscribe, what are you doing? And like the video. You know the deal. But it's episode 20. It's a big deal. We're recording this on the anniversary of the Mariner Mojo channel. Thank you so, so much. But another thing that I'm very thankful for, Logan Gilbert. We all know what he did last night. Seven innings, one hit, 12 Ks. Almost went for a baker's dozen, but could not get the job done. Joe, how are you feeling after last night's game? First of all, how are you? Yeah, I'm I'm feeling good, man. I'm I'm glad that you you asked how I'm doing. Because it's honestly a phenomenal game all around. And yeah, you would have liked the offense maybe to do a bit more. They were kind of running into some outs and some shenanigans early on in the game. Let's let's be real. But Canzone, beautiful double, stole third, got pretty lucky. You know, the ball hit off Machado's heel of the glove. But there's a lot that went right for the Mariners to take the win. And it was probably a little bit closer than it necessarily should have been, I guess. But it cannot be overstated how dominant Logan Gilbert was on the mound. His secondary stuff has evolved so much over the last calendar year, and it's completely changed his dynamic as a pitcher. We thought his growth from his rookie year into his sophomore year last year was a ton. It's a completely different pitcher again this year, and he just continues to get better, it seems like. A lot of the conversation around the Mariners pitching staff is, you know, is Kirby the number two or is Gilbert the number two? And maybe even Kirby the number one. I would be, I'm willing to put Gilbert into this conversation with Castillo and Kirby more frequently because two solid outings. Yeah, Logan has definitely had two very dominant outings so far this year. And against really good competition, like you said, you know, the complete game shutout against the Giants. And then the Padres, albeit the record is not very good so far this year. They have been underperforming, but they were coming hot. They were hot coming into the series. And Juan Soto is one of mm-hmm. the hottest hitters on the planet. And Logan Gilbert is the first right-handed pitcher in MLB history to strike out Juan Soto three times. Wrap that around your head really quick. Juan Soto has been in the league for a while. He's got over 2,500 career at-bats. He's got over 3,000 career plate appearances. He's faced more premier right-handed pitching than Logan Gilbert. And Logan Gilbert is the first right-hander to strike strike him out three times. Phenomenal job from Walter. And passing it off to Andres Munoz and Matt Brash in the 8th and ninth. Great job overall from the pitching in total today. But we did get a little bit of the Brash experience, but, you know, what would a Mariners game be without the Brash experience? And... Munoz did let a little bleeder through from Ha Sung Kim, but it was in an 0-2 count. He had him on his back foot. He was fooled, but he did rear back and get the job done. Just an overall fantastic win from the Mariners. There's lots to like about where the bullpen is at right now, and with some of the not-so-premier arms, if you will. They looked great against you know the Angels and other times throughout the year in high-leverage situations. We all know how clutch Saucedo was to finish out the four-game mop of the Angels. I trust these guys so, so much. And speaking of the Angels, they're going to be in town in the middle of September, and our good friends over at Simply Seattle are hosting a Shohei Otani recruitment event, essentially. They've got a ticket deal going on right now where you can get a Come to Seattle Otani shirt and a ticket to the game on Tuesday, September 12th. Check that out. It'll be linked down in the description down below. But there's a lot to look forward to right now heading into game two. It's not just the fact that we won six in a row. We're two back at Toronto. But we've also got an MLB debut. Joe, you, you're you right. Emerson Hancock is likely going to be making his debut against the Padres in Game 2. Brian Wu has found himself on the Phantom IL, theoretically. 
he went on the 15-day IL with right arm, forearm inflammation or whatever. And there's been a little bit of concern surrounding the Tommy John surgery that he's had. And they've come out and basically stated that it is just like a precautionary thing to allow him to get some, you know, rest, essentially. Because it's the most innings he's ever thrown in his major league career. I think he's at like 99 innings or something like that. And his arm's likely just becoming fatigued. It's just the, the natural process that happens. And and they've already said that he's going to pitch throughout the end of the year. If you want to use him in a bullpen role, maybe he could play well there with his high-velocity fastball. Or maybe even Bryce Miller goes there and does the same thing, you've got options because the conversation we're supposed to be talking about, got a little sidetracked, is Emerson Hancock. That's what we're supposed to be talking about right here. Getting called up from AA Arkansas, he was the number six overall pick in 2020, a long time coming for Emerson Hancock, who did get passed up by Miller and Wu this season. He was ahead of them for a long time in the prospect rankings, but he just kind of like stagnated a little bit while Miller and Wu were on the rise, it felt like. Yeah, and, and honestly, if he did stagnate a little bit, right, there's still a lot to like about Emerson Hancock's potential and his game overall, I would say. He's got a decent mm -hmm. fastball, and he's got a changeup that is devastating. Should he feel confident enough to throw it against major league talent in a major league game, mm -hmm. let it play a little bit. See how it goes. We know the tale of the tape on Emerson Hancock. He struggled at times, but he's also been dominant enough to win Texas League Pitcher of the Month. So it's just, yeah. he's got good stuff. It's just whether or not, what, what version of Emerson Hancock are you going to get in this debut, right? Are we going to get the blow-up start or the pitcher of the month? And we all know how, you know, crazy Brian Wu's first start was. So if he doesn't do well tomorrow, don't lose your heads. Yeah, I think, like many Mariners fans, we we repressed that memory. I want to say we repressed that start. Yeah, and Wu was able to bounce back exceptionally well in the later yeah. starts against competition. It's probably not up to par with the Texas Rangers, especially with how hot they were at the time. But he's come out and pitched well against other contending teams. And to think that Emerson Hancock doesn't stand a chance, I guess, especially against the Padres team, that it, they've been scuffling. You know, they've got a lot of talent, but I don't know. I'm not willing to write him off quite yet, right? Like, I don't want to just have this be the ugh. I'm not, you know, willing to let Emerson Hancock have his moment in the sun. But, you know, this is also just speculation. They haven't announced it yet, but they've, they've all but done announced that the fact that he's going to be starting. They could move Castillo to start tomorrow, but I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. But what we do know is that we are going to be facing you, Darvish, on the mound tomorrow. And Darvish, we've got the pedigree. We've got the tail of the tape on him as well. He's going to be throwing 52 different kinds of pitches at the Seattle Mariners batters tomorrow. But in 2023, he's not doing overly well. He's got a 4-4-1 ERA with a record of 8-7 and seven and 121 strikeouts. We saw him a bunch in his early career with Texas. He's you, Darvish, right? He's, he's still got the stuff. It's just not as devastating. And with how the offenses looked previously, you know, the two runs in yesterday's game, not ideal. But if you can get one or two more of those big hits, which the Mariners had opportunity to do in the first game, you can get it done against Darvish tomorrow. Yeah, the production that we've gotten out of Dylan Moore since he started to heat up has been phenomenal. Cannot go understated just how valuable Dylan Moore has been since he's turned it around. And you can call it a insanity run or whatever you want. Whether or not he's going to fall off like Mike Ford has seemingly done because you just don't know where he's at on this roster, it feels like at this point. And kind of like a similar thing with Caballero. He's kind of run into a wall, but... Seeing Dylan Moore step up, probably going to be seeing more games at second base instead of Caballero against lefties. 
I mean, Rojas hasn't done a whole lot so far. And then, obviously, Julio scalded the ball a couple times. JP got on base three times. A little bit more that you could have wanted out of Gino and maybe Teo with some RBI scoring opportunities. But if they can come up clutch tomorrow, I can see this going in the Mariners' favor very, very easily. Yeah, and you expect certain guys to come up clutch, and in specific situations, they've done it plenty of times this year. But it is, it's nice to see, like, Dylan Moore doing what we've talked about already with, like, you know, the clutch RBI triple, and Trent Grisham, you know, he kind of went face first in the wall almost. He was, yeah. a, was a running jump into the wall, but it was, it was a closer play, but you love to see the, the not-so-typical guys getting hot, and Breaking T's got the perfect shirt for you guys. You love to see it. Shirts from Breaking Tea. BreakingTea.com slash Mojo. Check them out. A perfect shirt for the occasion here. You love to see it. Plain and simple right there. And the thing that I loved seeing the most was honestly Julio's shenanigans robbing Fernando Tatis Jr.'s home run. I was probably just about as dumbfounded as Dave Sims was on the call. It was just like, it almost felt staged to a certain degree where he was just kind of walking, you know, being all swaggy with it. And I don't know if, if it was Trent Grisham would Julio have done that? Yeah. I, I don't think so, right? I think it's just because it's Tatis, you know, the, the star power involved, the mano mano kind of a situation. And Julio gets Tatis as he takes one back, and the the reveal was just so organic and so much fun just seeing it on the broadcast. And obviously we made the short about it, and it was just a lot of fun to put together. And he's going to be winning many, many Oscars, going to be nominated. Mariners Twitter has decided he is sweeping the awards show. And no better acting job in the MLB done by Julio. Well, except except for maybe like the umpires the majority of the time. But if you're one of those people yeah. that are on Twitter that are mad about Julio's antics, and I know no Mariners fan probably is, but please just have a little bit more fun if you are. It's a little bit of banter back and forth between two of the biggest stars in the MLB. Just let him have a little fun. And if Tatis had tied the game in the ninth inning, thank goodness he didn't. But if he had gotten a two-run jack off Munoz, I'm sure rounding second base, he would have pointed directly at Julio, blew him a kiss, or winked at him, anything, to say that he got him back. Without a doubt, in my mind. And a little bit of banter can be good and fun for the MLB. It yeah. brings excitement. Some of the times, you know, tempers can flare and bigger situations can erupt, like Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson, you know, getting the one-two buckle my shoe, getting knocked on his ass. But there was never going to be a situation like that with Julio and Tatis because it, it felt like it was in good fun. Can I can I say something really quick? I, I guess not even say something. This is a question. Would you have traded Shohei Otani if you're Artie Moreno? Like, be honest with yourself. I can confidently say no that I probably would not have traded Shohei Otani. You you want to assume the best in the acquisitions that you're getting at the deadline. Gilito, proven guy-ish with the White Sox. Crone and Grichik, yeah, they're like bargain bin diving. And you you like what you've seen out of Lopez so far also from that Gilito deal. So losing seven straight, I think they snapped the streak tonight against the Giants. Losing seven straight out of the deadline looks bad right but i i'm trying to put myself into the the mindset of an owner but also like thinking about it in terms of like other sports like would i trade lebron james at his peak if i'm dan gilbert on the Cavs before he went to miami like there's rumors that he might not resign 
I don't think I do. I get that the Cavs are more competitive than the Angels, and basketball is a bit more of like a individual sport. It can be. But Otani, like, yeah, the value you can recoup from trying to trade Otani could set your franchise up for the next decade, whereas now they're probably screwed because their farm system is going to be at the bottom of the league forever. And you might not sign Otani, re-sign him, right? But you don't want to be the guy that trades the best player on the planet. You don't want to be that guy. Hmm. I guess. Yeah, we already touched on a little bit before, I guess. But do you? What do you think? Like Hancock's leash will be. Like, what do you expect Scott to do with Hancock? Should he start today? Assuming that that he starts. Yeah. Okay. The bullpen's going to be exceptionally rested because, you know, Monday off, Thursday off, only Brash and Munoz going in game one. The leash should be very short, I think is how the phrasing should work there. If Hancock gets into trouble, gets into hot water, get him out right away because you don't want another blow-up start like Wu had against Texas. And you don't want the guys coming in to make their debuts like scared against these MLB teams, right? And guys are just going to be scared to make their debut with us if if that should continue, right? That trend. Exactly. You've got reliable arms in your pen that can eat more than one inning if you need it to or have it be just like this, you know, situational thing like if Gabe Spire wants to come in against the lefty and do some shenanigans like that with your pen because you've got every single one at your disposal in this second game except for maybe Munoz. I feel like Brash and Munoz, they could go if you absolutely needed them to, but you might not need them to. And if Hancock seemingly got it, let him ride. Let him go five, six innings, because we saw random success from Easton McGee against the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's see if Emerson Hancock can have some so, something similar, right? Yeah, if he's if he's limiting hard contact, that's going to be the, the biggest factor, I think, for Emerson Hancock. Gilbert was phenomenal at missing hard contact and the repertoires and skill i would say are pretty different between gilbert and hancock but that's going to be the big thing were you were you hoping in any way that there would be a six-man rotation i guess you know it's been teased like all year basically and talked about but with ray getting injured and marco getting injured the young arms like miller and Wu kind of being thrown into the fold are you were you wanting a six-man rotation with you know hancock at the end of the season Kind of what is what we all kind of I think figured might happen should we get there. Hmm. If I if I'm being honest, not really. Yeah, I don't really fair. crave the idea. I guess I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I don't know. I, I think I think you can throw guys off rhythm if you focus too heavily on the six man rotation. There sure. are the guys in the rotation, Castillo, Ger, Kirby, Gilbert, that you want out there every fifth day, and they want to be out there every fifth day to give their team the best chance to win the game. You're in the playoff hunt. You are two games away from Toronto, only like three and a half away from Houston. You want your guys that are going to go out there and give you the best chance to win as often as you can. The Mariners, we're, we're doing a lot of that lately. We are winning a bunch Part of the problem, though, is that the teams in front of us are also still winning. Texas, they're 8-0 and after the deadline and will not stop winning. They're there. They're beating up lesser opponents. You know, they faced the White Sox and then the Marlins, who had been kind of scuffling, and now they're facing the A's. So it's not, I guess, I don't want to say that we're playing harder opponents, but that's probably what I'm going to be saying. And 
you know, they were getting a little battered up there yeah. with Houston kind of getting close to them. Houston's playing real good ball. It just feels like that meme that's going around on Mariners Twitter of like the objects in mirror closer than they appear, and it's the Mariner Moose on the ATV. That feels very real within, I feel like, just the Mariners fandom in general. And we could be even closer if Kyle Tucker didn't hit a clutch grand slam off Felix Bautista, of all people. So, you know, two back at Toronto, three and a half back. I think it would have been three over Houston if they would have lost. I'm not sure. No, I, I think I think it would have been two and a half back because they're three and a half right now. We're 61 and 52 and they're 65 and 49. So that's three and a half that they're ahead of us. So they would have lost. It would have only been two and a half and they would have only been a half game up on the Blue Jays, I think. So the Astros, they've been good seven of the last seven and three in the last 10. But, you know, had they been six and four in the last 10, if Kyle Tucker wasn't a godsend, the outlook for the wild card for the Mariners, I think, would be a little bit different. Damn, it's it's really that close, huh? I feel like it was it was literally like yesterday where we were still on the cusp of winning or not, and whether or not we're buying or selling. You know, the the battle of five hundred. Finally, whether or not we could escape more than one or two games above five hundred the whole year, and now we're sitting nine games over five hundred. Are you kidding me? That feels it, it's incredible. It's so it's so freeing that we're just not anxious all the time with the direction of the team and. You know, there's probably a lot of pressure around the deadline as well when you're playing 500 ball, where you're at a team that could have been better but wasn't up until that point. But now that you're nine games over the over 500 after the deadline, I couldn't even imagine where like the conversations and like where the team headspace would be at. Should we have been, you know, say lack of a better term, nine games over 500 at the deadline? Yeah, I mean, if we were nine games over 500 at the deadline, I think we'd be probably close to leading the division or right behind Texas because they would have. They're, they would have been they're 14 up before their eight game win streak right now so I don't know it's it would have been the outlook would have been extremely different but something some random something I'm surprised I haven't brought up yet is how god awful the scheduling and calendar has been so far during the stretch of games and I think the reason why I haven't really thought about it a whole lot is because we're winning you know I don't have to think about how we just spent four games in Anaheim to come home again to play San Diego for two games, have two days off in the middle of that on Monday and Thursday, and then still be in Seattle for you know the weekend coming up, I, I does not make sense to me. And I'm mad about it. For whoever did this, you want like names and addresses? Like, what are you trying to get out of this? I just want them to know that if they're out there, I will find them. Now, I've got podcast questions from the Discord. Mike, this is from six days ago, so it's a little bit outdated. But it's asking about free agents on the waivers, essentially. So Douth Keichel is a name that's been circulating. Ramon Laureano was a name that got DFA'd recently. Where are we at with maybe filling out this roster should things happen, like injuries or guys start to underperform? Are there someone that you're kind of looking out for in terms of these names on waivers? I, I'm not really fixated on any names personally. Like, Mancini, Dallas Keuchel, not really about it. Yeah, I think if we weren't so confident with our young pitching, Keuchel could have made True. sense. I know, I think he's already been picked up and already made a start. So, Mike, apologies that your question's a little outdated at this point. But Trey Mancini, if if Ty France was still having his, you know, not going to the chiropractor problem, maybe. But he has not been the same since he left Baltimore. Unfortunately for him, great guy, love the guy, but 
just not a good fit, I feel like, because you don't really want him playing first because he's not the best defensive first baseman, and the bat's just not worth it in terms of that, you know? Did just pick up Ryan Jensen. He's he's only 25, but, you know, it's it's an arm, essentially. I think the most popular one that I saw circling a little bit was the Ramon Laureano one because he crushes lefties, but I feel like that would just be A.J. Pollock 2.0. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm fine with the roster staying pat and calling up guys from AAA like Sam Haggerty or someone. I don't know. I can't think of anybody else. Sam Haggerty is the only one that I think that makes sense. But yeah, keep the roster with where it's at and trust that they can push you to that next step for the wildcard push. Yeah, another guy. Um, I know we just, you know, you mentioned Ryan Jensen. Another guy that I thought of was Brett Honeywell. But unfortunately, he got picked up by the White Sox. So sucks to suck the the Padres DFA'd him so it was just a reliever it, it's a similar guy to the Ryan Jensen pickup from waivers from the Cubs so overall I'm I'm kind of aligning with you right stay pat with the team there's going to be a guy within the system that could probably provide for you more than a DFA'd guy mm-hmm. from around the league because there's a reason he got DFA'd no one picked up Colton Wong Colton Wong got a, got released for a reason right just the value it's not intrinsically there for these guys that are getting dfa'd we talked about game two against the padres and we all know what's going on but more importantly coming up this weekend a huge weekend for marriage fans just in general it's a big series against the orioles it's king felix hall of fame induction weekend it's going to be special and neither of us are going to be there because well we're the same person and I know we haven't really talked about that. Sorry that if it's weird, but had to do make do because Colton is not here with us tonight. He will be at the Orioles series this weekend to celebrate King Felix. It's going to be such a special weekend, guys. Soak it all in. It's going to be a bunch of fun. I'm going to be crying on the couch. I know Colton's going to be crying in the stands. The Orioles, it'll be a tough matchup for sure. We know that going into it. They're a really, really good baseball team. They're so young and talented, but... There's a lot to like from this marriage ball club right now that, you know, could show up against the Orioles on Felix's weekend. We have to, you know, it's it's in our blood, right? It's in our DNA. Got loyalty, got royalty inside our DNA. The marriage tweeted Kendrick Lamar song, if anyone's familiar. It's a hype. It's just a video got me hyped. Yeah, if they end up starting Hancock tomorrow against the Padres, I think that means mm-hmm. Castillo, he'd be going on Friday against the Orioles, and then it would be Kirby and Miller the rest of the weekend there. And the pitching matchups, they should always favor the Mariners because you've probably got a top five rotation. All of them will be if you're Seattle. And the the Orioles that we know is is the offense mainly over there, and the bullpen has been phenomenal for them. Their pitching staff, the starters, they've done okay, but they're not premier like the Mariners necessarily, right? And... I, th- I think if you can beat the starters and you don't have to beat the bullpen, you'll be fine. Because you don't want to have to try and beat Yenier Cano and Felix Bautista and even like Shintaro Fujinami, who's been throwing heaters, gas, over there in Baltimore. They picked him up from the athletics of the deadline. You still want to have to beat them. But mm-hmm. I, I, I really, I, I'm feeling good about this Mariners team heading into this Baltimore series because you're taking two out of three from Boston. You swept the Angels in a four-game series on mop. And then you're at least splitting with a very talented Padres roster. It's just not performing as well. I'm not going to be overly upset if we go one and two against Baltimore. 
and it is Felix weekend. You know, I'll admit I'll be a little upset that they don't show out for King Felix, but it's not the end of the world because you've got a softer schedule the rest of August. You've got four games against the Royals. You've got Houston in Houston, so it might be a little bit tougher. And Houston's been playing good ball, but we've been playing Houston really well this year, so I still confident mm-hmm. against that. And you've got more games against the White Sox, the Royals, and Athletics through the rest of the month of August. And I know many, we've talked about it a bunch, the August schedule is now is the time to capitalize. It's pivotal that we continue to stay hot through this month for the wildcard hunt. And I've never felt more confident with how the Mariners are playing than right now for us to finish out this month strong and keep within what? one to two games of the wildcard heading to September, if not past Toronto and jump into that third wildcard spot, maybe even leapfrog Houston if we play them really well there. It's it's not close to outside the realm of possibility for me. Yeah, I mean, we've we've leapfrogged, I feel like, every single team that we needed to, except for Toronto at this point. You know, we've put ourselves back in the conversation of competition to be in the playoffs, to be the team that broke the drought, and now we're still fighting back for it, right? We're not just going to be complacent and sit idly by and let the season go to waste if some of the core guys weren't playing up to standards for a little bit they they've figured it out for the most part it seems like they've turned the corner and they're all playing just more cohesively as a unit the vibes the vibes are there good vibes only and it's just overall it's good baseball from the seattle Mariners, and it's a great way to showcase to shohei otani that you know maybe you should sign here this offseason so i've got a video on the screen right now detailing how shohei otani might be a perfect fit for the mariners but also how the mariners might be a perfect fit for shohei otani again thank you guys for watching this one and listening to the 20th episode of the hit it here podcast i apologize if it was weird since it's just me colton hopefully you had a great vacation and i'll see you guys later go mariners